Hey friends, thanks for joining me, Jim Baroud, to hear a few insights from leaders who represent our innovation ecosystem. Today's chat is with Kai Bond, investor, founder, entrepreneur, and partner at Courtside Ventures, and Devin Hurt, the co-founder and CEO of Prediction Strike. Let's kick this off with um, an intro by you, Kai. Tell us about yourself, your background. Sure. Happy to. Thanks for having me on. Uh, my name is Kai Bond. I'm a partner at Courtside Ventures. Uh, we're an early stage venture fund based in New York. Uh, we invest in three verticals, uh, and that's our sports. Um, we invest in fitness as the second, and then the third is gaming. Um, and obviously, there's a massive intersection you know, between the three of those um, in today's market. Uh, we invest in the seed in Series A primarily. Um, you know, my background is as a founder and entrepreneur. I was a, a founder three times over. Uh, I started a marketplace around gaming. I started a real money gaming service um, for mobile devices uh, and uh, sold my third company to Samsung, which was an interactive streaming business uh, around delivering custom content onto broadcast television. So a blend of experience, um, you know, both on the interactive media and sports side, uh, as well as gaming and apply a lot of the lessons learned as an entrepreneur uh, to what we invest in today. Great. Thanks. Devin? Thanks for having me on as well, Jim. My name is Devin Hurt. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Prediction Strike. Prediction Strike is a sports stock market. So imagine buying some shares of your favorite athletes as if they were stocks. Right now we support NFL and NBA. Then we have UFC coming up next month, actually. And then we're going to launch some more sports as we get into next year. Uh, my background is largely in tech and engineering. I graduated school or college a few years ago. There I studied bioengineering. After that, I went on to work at Nike. I did cybersecurity there. Um, it was around that time I started Prediction Strike with my best friend and COO, and now here we are. That's great. So Kai, talk, talk, talk to us about your uh, investing background and then show us some of that swag around your office. Yeah, yeah so... Um, Sorry, can you just repeat the question? Invest your your investing background. Sure. Yeah, my investing background. You know, I started off investing um, at very early stages, right? So I was part of the accelerator program at Samsung Next. Um, it's a global uh, accelerator with offices in Seoul, London, Berlin, New York, and the Bay Area. Um, and really, you know, my path into investing was how do I take this, you know, ten years of tribal knowledge that no one really talks about. Um, and mentor and coach and advise founders. And so it was at the earliest ideation phase, pre-product, pre-launch, working with founders um, to find that product market fit um, and going from zero to one. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to uh, get a phone call from a form, former investor uh, who said, hey, you know, I'm over at Comcast Ventures now. Uh, you know, we're looking heavily at the gaming market. It was fascinating to see the data that they would leverage, you know, and sort of an understanding, you know, their network traffic was doubling month over month, and it was all coming from gaming and esports. And so, you know, I helped uh, go over to Comcast Ventures and structure uh, a lot of the investment thesis around gaming. And I also had the unique opportunity while I was there to manage a $20 million fund called Catalyst Fund that uh, invested in Black and Latinx founders. And so I was leading that charge. That was a sector agnostic, uh, early stage fund. And we did about 13 deals there. Um, and, you know, so I was investing capital out of the flagship fund as well as Catalyst. Uh, and during that time, 
uh, I invested in four businesses with the team at Courtside. And so when they raised, you were in the process of raising funds too, they said, hey, you know, we'd love co-investing with you. You know, why don't you think about coming over and joining the team, right? And I had a, 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 you know, a unique background that added a lot of value coming from the gaming ecosystem uh, to what they were doing and also had a really keen understanding of the sports industry, having launched a successful uh, business there. And so, you know, I love sports. I love gaming. You know, it's very unique to take that with an entrepreneurial element, you know, and a team who I've known for 15 plus years and who had a proven track record in fund one. So it was really a no brainer for me to come on and join. Um, and, you know, it's been, you know, a phenomenal two years here. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're getting ready for, for bigger and better things as we approach fund three. So it's exciting times. How big was the fund one and fund two? Fund one was a $35 million fund. Uh, fund two was a $55 million fund. Um, and, you know, we deploy capital, you know, somewhat evenly across the sports ecosystem, fitness, and in gaming. But again, you know, the intersection of these, these businesses, uh, you know, when you, you look at some of the deals we've done, uh, we did a, a daily fantasy deal in Brazil. Um, is daily fantasy a sports investment or is that a gaming investment, right? Um, you know, I think the same could be, be said of predictions, right? Is it a fintech business or is it a sports business, right? And the intersection of, of what's making this such an exciting moment in time is that, you know, the lines were once very clearly drawn, right? And now we're seeing the intersection of two forms of interactive media, live streaming, broadcast with fintech, with gaming. And it's, you know, pulling in audience, you know, people who are retail traders, you know, uh, people who are sports fanatics and, you know, the convergence of multiple forms of media are actually not just going in and saying, hey, we're stealing a portion of the gaming market, right? Or we're cutting into daily fantasy, right? No, you're not. Like we are at the precipice right now of creating new markets, right? And I think inevitably when we look through our investment lens of what's most exciting is finding those opportunities where you're actually increasing the market, right? You're growing the TAM and introducing new products. And that's the beauty of kind of gaming. It's not a problem solution business like you would see in a lot of other verticals, right? You have to have this creative lens. You have to think outside of the box if you really wanna grow TAM. And those are the most exciting opportunities we wanna go after. Got it, got it. There's a lot there. And, and Devin, how do you view the the market the industry as a startup i mean talk to us about your startup but but talk to us about the industry as a whole as well what you see uh what's exciting coming forward definitely i mean i want to first of all just echo what kai said i think we're at a really interesting point where people are building products and people are building things people love that don't fit neatly in a box like they used to and that's what's fun Right. When you especially, first of all, we're in the industry of sports. It's all about fun. It's all about entertainment. It's all about engaging, just keeping people happy. It's not it isn't problem solution. It's not necessarily just more efficiency. It's about human performance. It's about fans being happy. And that's kind of what it's all about. Right. And so now we're kind of at this point where people are creating different products that don't necessarily just serve one purpose. So. You talk about prediction strike. Is it fintech? Do you, you have this investment element, this idea that I'm monetizing some knowledge that I have that other people don't? You have just a fun element, just like, you know, maybe like Steph Curry is my favorite basketball player. So right now it's like, I'm just going to rock with Steph wherever he is. I'm invested in that journey. I'm dialed in, which is kind of the same thing I'd be doing as a fan, but now I'm doing it with dollars. And then you also have a very real fan engagement point. 
I mean, we've seen what fantasy sports by themselves do for fan engagement. Now it's like, okay, you have dollars on individual players that you can trade day in and day out. That's going to change how you see the game, or maybe it's just going to make you see the game more, more than you ever did. And so now there's, of course, there's us, but there's tons of products all over the space that are just, just turning the space into something that's not just the television screen, the game we used to watch and then kind of go away, or maybe you used to go to the game. Now you're really just immersed in it and it, it feels completely different than before. And Devin, talk to us about the mechanics. How does one invest with your platform? Real quick. Sure. So the simple version is there's two ways in which stock prices primarily move. That's of course <laughs> the natural question. First is how the athlete performs in games. So we saw, we said each game is kind of like an earnings report. If an athlete beats earnings or their projections, their share price is going to go up. And if they miss, the share price is going to go down. And the other is the supply and demand aspect. Are other users buying or selling those shares? So if you're, if you're a user, you're either going to pick an athlete who you think, look, they're going to have a great game, a great month, a great season. I know I can make money that way. Or you're going to pick someone who is just about to get really popular for whatever reason. Maybe they're, maybe they're an up-and-coming rookie who people are going to see as good. Or maybe they're about to launch a new endorsement deal, um, do a big charity event that's going to make a splash. Things like that, that's what our users are looking for. Wow. That's and it's, it's the normal dollars. We can talk about Bitcoin later or crypto later, but it's normal dollars into an account. Is right? Yes, exactly. U.S. dollars into an account. From that account, you then buy your shares with U.S. dollars again. And who is the highest uh, valued player at this point? I believe it's Tom Brady off the top of my head. It's him, between him and Derrick Henry right now, who have both been having crazy seasons. Um, they're up over $20 a share. Wow. All right. So let's let's take a, a, a macro view of the industry. There's, as you guys both mentioned, there's, we're at the precipice here. There's, there's so much going on. Where is the the opportunity. Let's just start with that. There seems to be a lot. So Kai, give us sort of your overview of, of what's going on. Yeah. I mean, I think one interesting trend that we're seeing is the regulatory environment opening up to real money wagering in the U.S., right? You're talking about unlocking billions of dollars um, that might've been operating in, in a gray market uh, prior to this. And you're seeing, you know, the social change, which is there's the openness to this, right? You used to walk into a casino, Vegas does a huge business and you see, you know, how much these businesses thrive. So moving that online um, in the regulatory environment changes. And whenever you see regulation change, it always opens up a, a massive opportunity. Um, you know, I think that's an important component. You know, I think the other side of this is the way in which fans consume um, information and data, right? Like we used to watch a game and, you know, I'm in my forties. So, the game would be on, the game would be over, right? And you, you, you know, ESPN was a, was a revolutionary step, right? In 24 hour broadcasting of television. Then you saw long form content going to short, you know, short form content. So you're watching Red Zone or you're seeing the MLB condensed games come in. Then you're seeing startups like Overtime where it's highlight driven, right? And you're not even talking about professional athletes, right? And so you're seeing the medium change in, in the delivery with, you know, 30 seconds of content coming in. You're talking about 
the ability to track stats like we've never seen before, right? You see companies like Sport Radar going public, you're able to take massive amounts of data that you would only get during a broadcast, right? Where someone say, you know, on third downs, in the red zone, with less than two minutes left, these are the plays they've run and this is the success. The average consumer has that data available to them in real time now, right? And so the way that we're consuming content and watching and engaging is, is transforming in a rapid way. And, you know, I think we're seeing more core fans than we've ever seen, you know, emerge. And to me, that's an exciting moment in time because you're talking about empowering, you know, a viewer, right? People no longer feel like a viewer. They feel like a participant, right? And what makes gaming fun is it's participatory by nature, right? And now you're moving into multiplayer you're talking about competitions. It's not just my office daily fantasy, you know, my, my weekly fantasy with my office pool. It's playing with anyone in the world at any moment in time. So the best of the mobile gaming components that make it such a popular form are now mixing in with sports. And so you're watching and following sports seven days a week, right? The minute it, it ends, right? on a Sunday night to Monday night to Thursday, all the way through. And we're just seeing this, this ravenous appetite from fans and they want to show it off in different ways, right? And whether that's NFTs for fandom and collecting cards, whether you're talking about, you know, and we saw that, right? Sports shuts down. What happens? People don't stop being fans, right? They still have an appetite for it. So what are they doing? They're like, let's go back into my hobby that I had as a kid with trading cards. Yes, they're digital. But there's no difference, right, in someone being a fan and collecting, you know, an NFT as a digital trading card versus a physical trading card. And so I would argue that you can probably do more with a physical trading card because what I have with my physical card stacked in a closet or in a folder is only when somebody comes over that I can show it off to, right? And that's the key here, which is, you know, we've seen it time and again, we're investors in the athletic. Some of the busiest days in their entire year is the day after the season ends. Who's getting traded, right? What's going on in the draft? And you're already thinking three months out, right? And, and that cycle, not only seven days a week, but 365 is, is really changed how we view the value of sports as an asset class. Got it. And, and you know, um, you mentioned about analytics. There's so much information that you just heard this week. NHL is going to put sensors in the pucks and I remember two years ago, you know, I was at a conference with David Stern, you know, passed away, head of NBA, and he was talking about all the, all the possibilities, you know, yeah. of all the sensors, of all the analytics, play-by-play, yeah. play, data overload. Um, right. I want to ask you, Devin, how does that factor into uh, people's sort of investment mode? Do, do they take those, all those analytics? Well, is that helpful or is it uh, overload? I mean, definitely. And I think it allows you to choose who you want to be as a sports fan. And there, especially, of course, we are replicating a stock market. You have, when you think about stocks, people have tons of data, people whip out their spreadsheets, their, their projections, everything. We see, we're seeing sports fans do the exact same thing with whether it's game projections, daily fantasy, prediction strike, whatever they want to do. And they can. So you have, before kind of, as Kai alluded to, you were, you were being fed this information. So the broadcasters would tell you whatever, and you're kind of, and that was kind of some magic at some point, right? It was, how do they even know that? Like there's like little <laughs> in the room, like with whatever files. And now it is everywhere. 
And as soon as our wow games are happening, you know, I'm seeing on Twitter, this is the mo- like last weekend, there were the most missed extra points in NFL history. Super random stat, but like I knew that by like four o'clock or something, right? And it's things like that that you see where as a fan, you can you can just see them in passing. Maybe you're just scrolling through Twitter, Instagram, you're, you're reading overtime, you're on the athletic, whatever it is, or you can really dive into it and find it and seek it out and become that true stat head. So you, it's no longer being like, when you think of those quant finance guys, you have people who do the same thing with sports. And I mean, some of it applies to just being a fan or maybe it's their fantasy team for bragging rights, daily fantasy or betting for money. But it's it's just easier than ever to get those advanced numbers. Got it. Go ahead, Kai. Did you want to mention anything on that? Got it. So you, 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 right now you're invest, you know, you're using dollars, right? You know, Kai mentioned NFTs. I mentioned crypto earlier. How do you see Devin uh, that developing for your business? Do you, do you see a a time in the future where you will add other uh, types of crypto? Uh, It's definitely on the table. Some we've spoken about a lot. Um, NFTs are a little bit tricky in of themselves for us because the idea of a stock is it's fungible. So the non-fungible part already doesn't work, right? My Apple stock is no different than your Apple stock. Whereas in the NFT, that doesn't exist. Over with crypto, that's, I mean, that's a huge wave that we just simply can't ignore. Uh, it's continued to grow. Every time it seems like it's going away, it's come back stronger. And it's, I think we've accepted that it's just around and it will be a part of the global exchange of, of, of money. And so it's definitely something that's on the table for us. And Realistically, um, within a couple of years, I'm sure we will be accepting crypto. Uh, for us, it's a lot of just figuring out what the regulations are going to be. And I think a lot of people don't quite know. Um, for at, for businesses, what do you have to report on? Uh, how do you you know how do you pay taxes on this? No one, we don't quite know yet. <laughs> uh, and I'm sure that someone will figure it out at one point. But kind of with everything going on and us just getting off the ground, uh, we kind of need to stay stay focused on what we're doing for now. Got it. Kai, how do you do that? So we've made, you know, a handful of investments in the crypto ecosystem as it pertains to sports and gaming. Um, You know, I think, you know, to Devin's point, when you think about creating a stock market, you know, you're taking the mechanics of of the markets that exist today and applying it to sports and you don't want to overcomplicate any product. In some cases, it actually simplifies, right? So we are investors in a company called Dibs. Um, and that's fractional ownership of trading cards. And so, you know, imagine, you know, you have in your collection, a, you know, a card that's of value, maybe $500,000 or $50,000. You can fractionalize that. You can sell off, you know, portions of that as a token, um, return some liquidity, um, hold on to that card as well and see it go up in value. And what we think a lot around crypto is, you know, there are trends that are going on in the ecosystem. I think fractional ownership is something certainly that will, you know, we've seen the rally roads, we've seen the Otis's of the worlds, and they have a certain approach around, you know, what they want to do with the SEC. You know, we've taken a slightly different approach with dibs, but that's what makes, to me, you know, highly defensible businesses, right? When I was at Comcast Ventures, we were investors in FanDuel, in the number of times, right, you know, the AGs around the country are coming and being like, is this a game of skill? Is it not, right? Is this a game of, of luck? And, you know, when you're operating in the earliest stages of businesses as we are, you're talking about de-risking. So how do you de-risk the investment? 
right? And, and Devin's probably already operating within a framework that he's taken into account under counsel about how you operate this stock market. We're taking a look at fractional ownership and what is the best, best approach and how do people participate in what might be incredibly valuable assets that will grow rapidly over time, but they can't afford the $1.8 million LeBron car. They can't afford some of these, but you still want to participate, right? Um, and so there are interesting trends that we're seeing there. You know, overall, when we think about crypto, right, there's, there's the collector side of the house, right? And there is, you know, the utility tokens that are out there. And I think what we're seeing in gaming is the utility side becoming more and more valuable. You're seeing it, you know, in play to earn gaming. Um, and on the collector side, you're seeing an appetite like we've never seen before with people that are willing to say digital assets are just as valuable as a picture that I hang on my wall. Got it. Well, let's talk more about that for a second. There are athletes who are jumping on this bandwagon, right? Um, who is out front? Um, who do you guys look to as sort of, um, you know, potential superstars, right? Is there any one or two or three that, that really are, are just sort of hopping on this and doing it really well or potentially uh, saying themselves I'm not going to name names because if I leave somebody out, then I'm going to get a tough ask you're making enough. of me there. I mean, look, I think the when you see what's going on with something like NBA Top Shot, right? And you see what's going on with uh, fanatics, right? That athletes and entertainers today, which we once viewed them as dumb jocks, right? And that's just simply not the case. And now that you found sports as an investable asset class, which even seven years ago, people weren't investing in sports like they are today. There were no venture funds around investing in sports when we launched Courtside in 2016. That's ex precisely the reason why we did it. Now you see a handful, right? But you're seeing high net worth individuals. You're seeing private equity coming in and looking at team ownership as a valuable asset to invest in. And you're seeing all of the media content and entertainment lifestyle brands being built around this. And so there's always been big money in sports, uh, but it's typically been at a much later stage, right? Or driven by high net worth individuals. And we're seeing the ecosystem mature where there's now venture and private equity coming in and identifying opportunities. And athletes, as they become more immersed in influencer economy, having outsized, you know, voice in what moves the needle, it makes sense to not only, you know, have a voice, but also have a equity and ownership in the businesses that you can promote and help grow. Um, and so I think it's a natural extension, you know, the, the sophistication of single family and multifamily offices is given a platform to help vet you know, a lot of these folks have great teams behind them that you know, individuals don't know about. We work with a lot of those kind of folks behind the scenes. And it's not to say they do all the heavy lifting, but, you know, venture is a pretty simple business. You source, you pick, and you help a company out, right? And when it comes to filling the pipeline of sourcing, athletes with a, with a loud media social media platform and a voice are seeing great deals. And there's no reason why they shouldn't be investing. And they've become increasingly sophisticated where you're not just going to be sitting in the broadcast booth after you retire, but there is a huge amount of opportunity available to you to deploy this wealth and wealth that is honestly much greater than what we saw a generation ago, right? You look at athletes from the 80s and 90s, they weren't making the kind of money that you're making today to allow you to make 
20 or 30, 150 or 250K checks. That type of personal wealth wasn't available. And so there's the confluence of a lot of things coming together that's allowing this unique moment in time for athletes um, and owners to you know, be investing capital in the venture and private equity ecosystem. Got it. You know, speaking of superstars, uh, Devin, you mentioned Tom Brady before. First of all, is that guy an alien or what? I mean, he is like amazing. I'm not um, getting better, so. And, and speaking of Tom Brady, isn't he working on some things that, you know, I'll, I'll determine who, so you're not in any buying Kai. Tom Brady, what is he working on? What, what, what were the expectations for someone like him, you know, in the industry? I've seen yeah, Tom Brady. Oh, sorry. Uh, Tom Brady's gotten in front of a lot of crypto stuff uh, lately, which a lot of different athletes have across sports. And I mean, as we said, crypto is a huge business. A lot of crypto companies are sponsoring these tier one athletes. And it's, it's no secret the influence they've always had, right? Um, football, the best quarterback was always basically a national hero. It, that's, that has not changed. It's not going to change. Basketball has seen a huge rise of the personal brand like they have never seen before. And that's turning guys who maybe aren't even all-stars into just guys people know and guys that, that we're hearing about and then we're tweeting about, we're talking about, and they're getting, you know, and that, and that's what it's turned into. And so that influence carries so much weight and there's, and they're seeing it and we're going beyond just the, the, you know, whatever soda was having an athlete do a commercial, those, we know what an ad feels like and everyone knows what an ad feels like. And I think we're kind of, as a people tired of being sold on something like, there was one very good basketball player, arguably the best ever, if you, if you catch the drift, who was doing a Mountain Dew energy drink commercial for the morning. There's not one person who believes he gets up and drinks Mountain Dew first thing in the morning, right? <laughs> you know, it doesn't feel real anymore. And so I think that is what people are looking for, this authenticity. Like, what are these athletes actually into? How do they feel about things? How, if they were telling the story, how would they tell it? And that's what they're doing with their platform. I mean, with Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, whatever, it's it's easier than ever for them to get that story out. Got it. And but on the other hand, there's sort of a the sort of problematic where you know situation where you have an athlete sort of focusing all their attention on that, whether they could be a mediocre athlete in the first place, and they're just building their community. I mean, I'm sure there there may be some examples already, but that may be a, a, a issue in the future, right? It definitely could be, and I think it, it'll become it'll become up to that athlete's team. I mean, these, these athletes have tons of people advising them. The coach, of course, is going to be on them to make sure they do the right thing. Um, but it's also a question of, you know, what matters in the long run. A lot of athletes who are not Tom Brady, right, are in and out of the league, are not signed to the most lucrative contracts. And, you know, when you're hanging out with a lot of other athletes, that money spends very quickly. So what is something that they can monetize for maybe ever? I think that's that's going to be the question. I mean, how many athletes can we really think of from that last generation who continue to make money? It's like, of course, Jordan has Jordan brand. And that's, <laughs> I mean, that's a big part of it, right? Um, I think Scotty Pippen just came out with a whiskey, um, but it's not too many of them, unfortunately. And so now it'll be kind of a question of, is this generation in a better position to continue to make that money even after they um, either retire or maybe they only got to do a two, three, five year stint in the league, but they built something that was going to last forever. And we're going to see. It will be interesting. Kai, how do you do Yeah, I mean, look, from our end, we co-invest with a lot of athletes. You know, there's a couple of things I would say. One is 
what people forget about professional athletes is that they are the very best of the best. And they've gotten there by coaching, by training, by being disciplined. Like, yeah, some people are freakish athletes, right? But like people underestimate how you become a top performer at that level. And so they're a lot smarter and a lot more coachable than anybody ever gives them credit for. Two, you know, when you look at this, like I said, this generation of wealth creation around athletes and and to Devin's point, not everyone has that wealth, but people understand that now, right? Like I'm not going to retire off of a season where I'm making 2 million a year and I blow out my knee, you know, what is next, right? And what they know is, is what they love. It's sports, it's media, it's entertainment, right? Like you talk about Tom Brady, right? We talk about crypto deals with him. Let's not forget, like he's on the board of religion of sports, right? Like he's got, you know, health clubs that, you know, they've been part of investments for years that have done well. And so I do think that they're looking at the next trends and how they're trans- transformational um, in terms of opportunities. And so, you know, we love working with athletes. You know, we think that there's a lot of room at the table. I find it funny a lot of the time when people are like, why, why can they angel invest what they do? I'm like, well, you know, you work at a bank and angel invest, like what time do you have on the side, right? Like <laughs> these guys ran charities for years. Nobody ever questions when they're off like running a charity or doing nonprofit work, but when it's for profit, people question it, right? And so I think that, you know, the ability to bite off what you can chew and, and you know, we're a vertically focused fund for a reason, right? We have a ton of knowledge and information. We talk all the way up the chain to publicly traded businesses out of the earliest stage. And we just know and focus on what we love. And if you do that in investing, the likelihood you're going to be successful when you continue to learn and, you know, get hone your craft and your skill as an early stage investor, there's an art and a science to it. It's not too dissimilar from a sport, right? And so the, the, the capabilities and core competencies that athletes have oftentimes make them very good investors. Got it. Who is the, I don't know if you can name this guy or, or Devin, who is the most underrated uh, future superstar? in sports and in maybe investing or, 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 you know, in business, is there anyone that you guys could name or would that be, uh, I've already dropped out of the name dropping. I know, I know you kind so of, far. So. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna gonna Devin all right, Devin, that's you. To me, I think even as I'm trying to pin myself to a name right now, I think the future superstar is going to be someone who does it off the court as well i think there's more appetite than ever for people who don't just play sports whether that's activism as we've seen lately um business deals athlete vcs have gotten more love than ever and just like being a real person there was this point where athletes we had this kind of celebrity culture disconnect where it was like they're kind of up here doing rich celebrity things that i could never see myself doing and now it's like they're kind of regular people who are maybe taller, faster, stronger, but they're, they feel real. And so I think that the person who can actually put all those things together and monetize that and is going to be the future. Um, who is that going to be? I don't know. To, to be honest, I think I've seen some, some of the most interesting things I've seen are actually, uh, and I don't know if they necessarily fall in this bucket, but the Ball family, right? They went from... Of course, two of the brothers are in the NBA. The third is supposed to uh, sign a G League contract, but they were making millions of dollars on Facebook video deals of just 
them being a family, right? This reality show type concept. It's like that has turned them into a cultural superstar. And obviously LeVar did the full media circuit for a while. It turned them into this cultural superstar. And that's the type of thing that also makes you personally an appealing investor, that, that you have influence and that people want you to say, look, I invested in this company. This is why they're awesome. So it is going to be someone who can really be that digital social media native person and just be everywhere for the fans. I mean, you're seeing high school kids have millions of dollars or millions of followers, and they're about to get paid millions of dollars in college with NIL. So it is going to be someone who just knows how to do that, or maybe even gets a team around them. Like I can see a time where there's people start consulting high school kids on building their brand, on building social media. And, you know, that might be as early as next year. Uh, especially with some of these some of these high school players, everyone knows they're going to get drafted. Like someone like KD, everyone knew. Zion too. Like before they even stepped on a college court, everyone knew they were getting drafted. So I think we're going to move this pipeline a lot earlier and people are going to start trying to build those brands and figure, figure it out at, as early as high school. Got it. What about, um, uh, speaking of athletes, Ballers is like a favorite show of mine. Is that how accurate is Ballers is from your perspectives? Sure. <laughs> I guess I'll start. Um, from my perspective, I think it, it sensationalizes uh, a lot of things. I think the, I mean, the core premise is true in that if you're the agent, right. Um, your, your athlete is that's, that's, that's your guy. You gotta, you gotta take care of him, make sure that he's getting the best deal possible, taking care of himself, um, in the best position to succeed and just staying out of trouble. So I think that is true. And that, that part holds true. Um, ballers, of course, to make it interesting, did a great job (laughs) of making, um, some of the problems seem a little more frequent and maybe a little more sensationalized. Um, and I think a big thing, like if, a lot of that stuff happened, it would be on TV. Um, everyone has a video camera these days. You're not getting away <laughs> with those types of things like you might have been able to in 20 years ago. Like, it just doesn't happen. But, um, I mean, also, I just have to say, fun show. I, I loved it, too. Kai, you have any comments? Or you want to keep that? It's a fantastic show. <laughs> All right. But – one thing I wanted to mention was the um, e-gaming or e-sports, right? Now you have high schools, st- you know, there's a whole industry, people are getting scholarships. Are you guys in that business at all? Yeah, so we placed, a, uh, you know, about nine e-sports investments, you know, over the course of probably about a two and a half year window. Um, you know, the way that we view e-sports is really through the lens of how we invest in sports, right? Our core focus in sports is around media, lifestyle, and entertainment, right? Um, And we stay away from investing in teams and leagues, right, on the sports side. So, you know, when we thought about esports and what it meant, you know, we invested in a company called Beam. It was an interactive streaming platform. Microsoft acquired that. It became Mixer, right? We saw a technological need for broad audience adoption of watching streams, right? And we're seeing that play out with Twitch and, you know, YouTube gaming. Um, You know, we invested in 100 Thieves, right? 100 Thieves premise when they started was never about being, you know, winning the most tournaments to generate prize. Like, yeah, you have to be good and you have to win in order to be successful, but it was about creating a lifestyle and a culture around esports, right? So, you know, when you think about what they mean and, and how they monetize around merch, and the drops that they've done, 
and what it means to be a media and entertainment brand. Um, you're seeing a lot of other teams copying that format now, you know, several years later to monetize at scale. And so, you know, we, but at the same time, we've done some picks and shovels businesses, right? We have an analytics company in the space because anytime you see an emerging platform and technology, you need to have an analytics framework around it. So again, you know, our lens of the industry is informed by what are the massive trends that we see work in other businesses around this area and how do we deploy capital, right? You know, Epix is a great example of this, you know, Epix um, is an esports uh, company that we co-invested uh, with with several large gaming funds with, and they're rolling out, you know, uh, you know NFTs and digital trading cards around esports athletes, and they have millions of followers globally, right? It's no different than a person who's a professional athlete having millions of fans as well, um, and so the dynamic plays out in the same way. It's just targeted at a younger demo who's looking for a different form of entertainment. Um, and so that's how we really invest in the esports ecosystem. Um, I think it's still early days, right? You see this with a lot of emerging media that engagement is way out in front of monetization. And we're still as an industry trying to figure out how to drive monetization at scale. And you have to be in it for the long haul. And you want to place bets on the best teams and the founders who've been doing it for years and who have a unique angle and perspective on the market. And that's really what we are in the business of doing, right? Is identifying the best founders and identifying massive market trends where there's a big TAM. The TAM of esports is still trailing many other forms of media and entertainment. It will catch up. And so timing is kind of everything, right? With how you deploy capital into the ecosystem. Got it. And, and Devin, how do you see that? Are, you, uh, are there going to be some athletes coming up that, or do you already have esports athletes on your platform? We don't yet, but I mean, we definitely see it coming up. Uh, as Kai mentioned, it's hard. You just can't ignore how big it already is, how much it's growing. Um, I mean, just the even share of internet bandwidth that goes to esports is insane. Uh, we, we're fully aware of that. And it's really just, uh, it just hasn't happened yet for us. Um, we're, we're, kind of, we're very early stage, just trying to get everything together, but it's definitely on the way. Got it. This has been a great conversation. Tell us, um, before we go, tell, um, share with us just one thing. Um, entrepreneurs who are either launching or scaling companies in the sports tech, esports, gaming space should know. Devin? Sure. For me, it's that we are the ones deciding the future right now. And by that, I mean that in a lot of other industries, people see where it's going to go and there's a clear path with this broad sports, esports, gaming industry. We don't know. We're creating that all right now. As you've heard us say kind of multiple times, a lot of these industries and these verticals are just now growing, are just now being created. People are just now trying to figure out which bucket or combination of buckets everything falls into. And so now we're in a position that we can actually decide what that's going to be. We don't have to let the industry or the incumbents tell us. We can decide what it's going to be and go from there. Got it. Can, can yeah, I mean, my advice probably wouldn't be too dissimilar from the advice that I give to any entrepreneur, quite honestly, right? Which is if you, the hardest part about being an entrepreneur is being myopically focused on the task at hand directly in front of you, but having the ability to lift your head up, extract yourself from the day-to-day -day grind and look at the broader market in the ecosystem and where things are headed. 
right? And I think if you look at something like prediction strike it falls right into that, right? Like Devin knows, like I got to nail real money for these sports in USD to prove that I can create a stock market. But at the same time, when he picks his head up and looks up and is like, okay, esports is off in the distance, new sports are launching, crypto is an opportunity for me. And you're going to get tons of bad advice along the way. <laughs> you're going to get a ton of bad advice and you're going to hear no a million times, right? But the resiliency and the ability to be successful is to understand what good and smart advice is, sift out the bad advice, identify those big trends and figure out where along the line you fit in best to drive that wedge to allow you to become a big company, right? So Google started as a box on a page that you typed in a little bit of information into and it would come back with a list of results and text, right? It's a massive business now, right? And you look at some of the biggest and best businesses in the world, they start at the most rudimentary, most basic fit for somebody that wants to either accomplish a task or seek out a form of entertainment. And from there, they grow and become massive juggernauts of businesses. And that's really, to me, the art of a great entrepreneur is ability to execute in the near term, but also never being blind to what the bigger vision in the long term is. And they'll find their way along the way to create a successful outcome. Yeah, those are great insights. This has been great. We usually end with a, a poem or, or quotes or sayings. So, uh, Devin, why don't we start with you? Sure. This is one of my favorite quotes um, by someone who I think is just huge inspiration, or it's kind of, I guess, about him, about Alexander the Great, of course, famous general. So Alexander heard um, one of the tutors, he, he gave a discourse about the infinite number of worlds. And then when his friends asked him what's bothering him, Alexander's actually crying. And he responds to them, he says, is it not worthy of tears that when the number of worlds is infinite, we have not yet become lords of a single one? And to me, the most beautiful thing about that is you have this man who is seeking essentially to take over the world, right? And, it, and he realizes that there's infinite worlds, but he doesn't own any one of them. I think what we can all take away from that is you need to find what your world is that you're going to conquer and conquer that. Don't let people try and put you in their world, especially as entrepreneurs. It's very easy for people to try and fit your idea into their view of the world right now or the world they want you to be, to be in. There's literally infinite worlds out there. Just find your world and conquer that. Love it. Kai, go ahead. All right. So, um, you know, you hit me with the email asking me to, to share a quote or a poem last night. So, uh, you know, it, I, I, I'm in New York right now. It has been gray and rainy for what feels like, you know, a week or a week and a half. Um, can feel winter coming uh, to a certain extent. So uh, I'll, I'll share this quote with you, which is autumn exists to remind us that things must end to begin again. Lovely, got it. That's great. Thank you, both of you. And before we go though, Kai, I want you to show us some of your uh, paraphernalia on that wall. <laughs> your paraphernalia, you make it seem, or make it your seem crazy swag, over or here. Or your collectibles. One, one, I'm gonna show one item off, it's a very proud item. It is the Atletico Madrid kit from last season, La Liga winners signed everybody on the team. It's one of my pride possessions. Love that, love the team. Simeone's been brilliant, hopefully for a Champions League this year. Um, we'll see what happens, but that's where, if I'm going on prediction strike, 
<laughs> buying up Atletico Madrid players low and selling high later in the season. <laughs> when, when La Liga comes, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks a lot. That was really great. Thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please like it, leave a review, and subscribe. See you soon.